Amen. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. That we're not saved by our good works or by religious affiliation or anything that we try to do, but through the shed blood of our Savior, who loved us so much he'd rather die than live without us. We thank you, Lord. We praise you for your incredible grace you've shown upon all of us. Lord, we pray as we go to your word that you would be our teacher this morning. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It is great to have you here. A couple things really quick. Uh, Be praying about the situation here with the building. I shared it on Wednesday night. I met with the board at the VHM. If you don't know, we've, been, we've asked for some portables and some other things to better be able to minister to our children. Uh, a growing church, it's a good problem to have. But with that, we want to make sure the kids are in the, the best environment possible to be ministered to. So one of two things is going to happen. Either we're going to have the proper facilities or we're going to look for another one. So be praying. God's will be done. Second of all, the... Uh, We've gone forward to the next step with the radio station. If those of you may not know, we've applied for a full power radio station for the first time in many years. The FCC has opened up the opportunity to do that. We're working through a, a Calvary Chapel guy. And so the application will go in in October. And to do all that, we had to put down a, an application fee, hire an FCC attorney. Uh, you know what? It, it looks like a long shot from the world's perspective. But as we're going to see in this morning's text... Our God is greater than any obstacle, and if God wants us to have a radio station that 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, preaches the gospel in Santa Cruz County, He'll make it happen, amen? Amen. So be praying, please be praying. Pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. Now, before you turn in your Bible, I I have a hard time knowing how to share this, because I don't want it to ever come across wrong, so if it does, please forgive me, because it's not my heart, but... Uh, some of you know I have a pretty chronic stomach problem that's been bothering me since 1993. I don't like to talk about it very much because it sounds like I'm whining and I don't want that. But uh, I've prayed about it. God's allowed me to continue to have it. And I have it every day, but sometimes it gets more acute than others. And last night was one of those times. It was just a very difficult time. With that being said, uh, I will never get up here and teach you something I'm not fully prepared to teach. So we will be in Hebrews chapter 4 next week, and I hope you'll forgive your pastor. So this morning we're going to look, and I, and I ask for forgiveness of those who come on Wednesday nights, because this morning we're going to look at a text we looked at about two months ago on a Wednesday night. We're going to look at the story of David and Goliath. So turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We will be in Hebrews chapter 4, Lord willing, next week. This coming Wednesday we'll continue on our 1 Samuel study, so maybe this will whet your appetite a little bit to get involved in that. Now, this being a very long chapter, and we are going to look at all of it, uh, we go, we'll go through it a little quicker than we normally do. But I, I titled the message, you know, it's just David and Goliath. And it's a one-sided battle between a physically overpowering giant warrior and a young, humble, spirit-filled shepherd boy. And as we're going to see in this morning's text, that it is indeed a one-sided battle, but not in the way the world would think. You look at a, a man who's between nine and a half feet and 11 feet tall, a trained warrior covered in armor and a teenage boy. And, you know, if you were a gambling man, you would probably bet everything you owned on the giant. But you know what? It is a one-sided battle, but not the way that the world would think. It all depends on whether you see things from a physical perspective or a spiritual one. And so, too, it's important that in our trials, in the things that we go through in life, that we need to look at things from a spiritual perspective, not a physical one. So, if you're a note taker, 
The title of the message is David and Goliath and the one-sided battle between a physically overpowering giant warrior and a young, humble, spirit-filled shepherd boy. There's several points. Let me go through them quickly. I'm sure they're up on the screen, and they are. Praise the Lord. So, number one, the first thing we see in, in these battles of life is the overwhelming size of the enemy. For David and for those in Israel, the enemy size was overwhelming. Number two, the fearful response of the physically focused. When we have our eyes on our circumstances and not on the Lord, we will walk in fear. Number three, the bold response of the spirit filled. So you have the fearful response of the physically focused and the bold response of the spirit filled. All these we'll see in this morning's text. We'll see the world's criticism and caution toward those who boldly step out in faith. And when you step out, you will have critics. Fifth, we'll see the spirit-filled man's faith is not in his own ability, but in the power of God. We'll then see that the world tries to overcome spiritual attacks by worldly methods. Next, we'll see the contrast between a physical and a spiritual perspective between Goliath and David. Then putting feet to our faith And then finally, a spirit-filled man remains humble even in victory. So let's begin. There's a lot of text we're going to look at this morning, looking at the story of David and Goliath. Verse 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 17. It says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle, and were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Soko and Azekah and Ephes Damon. Now, what you need to understand is, the, is that David has already been anointed king, and Saul has already had the kingdom removed from him. He's been told that by the prophet Samuel, yet he still remains in power. He was supposed to, back in 1 Samuel 15, go out and wipe out all the Philistines, but he didn't do it. Excuse me, the Amalekites. He was supposed to wipe out all the Amalekites. Because he left the Amalekites, problems persisted so too with the philistines they should have all been dead by now but because of faithlessness the philistines remained so too it is with sin in our lives if we continue to allow sin to remain continue to you know hold on to that pet sin you know i want to serve god but i want to continue on with this part of my ungodly life from my past we will continue to have problems in the future so what has happened is the philistines are in the promised land. They're in the land of Israel. And they should have never been there. And had the the children of Israel obeyed God, most specifically if Saul had obeyed God, they wouldn't be there. But because they didn't obey God, the Philistines had mounted up this army. Those of you who go to Israel with us, you'll see this. There's a hill on one side, there's a hill on the other. And mounted up on one side were all the Philistines. And they were taunting and making a challenge against the children of Israel. Of Israel. The Philistines never should have been there, but this is what happens when we do not put the flesh to death completely. Israel's ground would have never been a footing for the Philistine army. And sadly, we know that too, they probably had heard that this fallout had come between Samuel and Saul. And so they heard, hey, Saul, the kingdom's been ripped from him. It's a good time for us to go down and attack. And the same is true for us. Our enemy is watching when we're at our weakest point, and that's when he wants to attack. When we've walked away spiritually, when we're not spending time in God's Word, when we're not in fellowship, when we're not spending time in prayer, he sees us as a wide-open target. And the same is happening true, true as well for King Saul, because the kingdom's been ripped from him, the Holy Spirit is no longer upon him, so now this battle begins. Verse 2. 
And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. So this valley of Elah, this green rolling hills surrounding uh, the valley that still stand today, of course, is witnessed one of the most remarkable battles in all of history. And again, the Philistines are mounted up on one side with all of their army, and the Israel on, Israelites on the other side. In the midst of it was a little stream that was dried up at this time, and in the midst of it would be these, these rocks in this stream, pebbles and rocks that were there. And so on either side you had a mountain, you had the armies mounted up facing each other, and they would mount up for battle and taunt each other, I believe. You know, it's interesting, I thought about uh, going to my son's football game, to one of the teams they play, they go out in the middle of the field and they do this kind of a Samoan chant to taunt the other team and beat their chest and, you know, and all this kind of stuff to psych the other team out. And I kind of imagine, you know, the Philistines and the Israelites are on these mountains and are kind of taunting each other from afar. But the truth is, it's filled with cowardice on both sides. Because you taunt when you don't want to do anything. And so they're taunting on each side, and you've got the Philistines on one side and the children of Israel on the other. And in the middle of all that, we're going to be introduced to this giant that we're all aware of, this giant by the name of Goliath. Look at verses 4 through 7. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now the word Goliath means splendor. And you know what? When he was... In his armor, he certainly was, no doubt, a, an incredible sight. And he was from Gath. And many believe he was a descendant of the Anakim, the giants mentioned all the way back from the time of Joshua, some 400 years earlier. It says there his height was six cubits and a span. Now, how tall is that exactly? Well, we don't know, because a cubit is the distance between your elbow and your forefinger. So depending on whose cubit you're measuring... Depends on how, how tall he was. A span is the difference between your, your pinky and your thumb when spread out like this. So he was six cubits and a span. So he was somewhere between nine foot nine and 11 feet tall. This is a big guy. Nine foot nine and 11 feet tall. And throw on some armor, and this guy would have been a pretty awesome sight. Then it says... He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 500 shekels of bronze. His coat weighed 125 pounds. You know you're yoked when your coat weighs 125, right? I mean, that is huge. I mean, unbelievable. So here's Goliath, and he's this guy, and he's got a bronze helmet on, and he's got this big coat. Then it says, and he had, a bron had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin, between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and the shield bearer went before him. So his, on top of everything else, he had this spear, it was like a weaver's beam. So this thing was like a beam, he hung it between his shoulders, he would pull it out, and the head of it weighed 600 shekels, or about 15 pounds. So the, just the, the spear part of the very top, the, the head of it, weighed 15 pounds. He's wearing a 125-pound coat. He's got a bronze helmet on. And notice here, it says he had a shield bearer that went before him. He had a guy who was in front of him standing there holding a shield and holding his armor, an armor bearer that went before him. So it wasn't just Goliath on his own, but an armor bearer that I have an idea was probably a lot bigger than David all by himself. 
So he's got an armor bearer. He's this big guy. He's an ominous sight, an overwhelming enemy. And he was indeed the champion of the Philistines. The word champion means to a middleman, a go-between. And we're going to see that he indeed represents himself as their champion. That all the Philistines put their faith in this guy and the children of Israel, because they look at him from a physical perspective, are scared to death. And if we look at him from a physical perspective, so would we be. Now look at verse 8. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they sought the Lord in prayer and went out with great boldness. No, that's not what it says. Make sure you're reading along. It says they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, Goliath here is the ultimate picture of pride. Can you imagine, this happens 40 days and 40 nights, that he walks down the hill as they're mounted up on either side, and down comes this ominous guy, 125-pound coat, big old huge noggin, right, with a, with a bronze helmet on it, walking down that hill and standing at the bottom, spear in hand, crying out and challenging them to send down their, your biggest guy. Send down your champion and let's fight. Now Saul at this point thinks he's invincible. And sadly... It seems like Israel does too. And sometimes we can look at our problems, we can look at our trials, we can look at the circumstances of life, and we can think they're 11 foot 750. We can say, you know what, Lord, this is just too big, there's no way I can ever overcome this. And we walk around living lives filled with fear and anxiety and worry, and we are not living or walking a victorious Christian life. Again, he has great confidence. His confidence no doubt grows every day as he walks down. And it was these exact circumstances that Israel had initially cried out for a king. If you haven't been coming on Wednesday nights, Israel cried out for a king because they wanted to have a king like all the other nations. And God warned them, I'm your king. If you cry out for a king, I'll give you a king, but it's going to be bad news for you. Because he will take from your families, he will put you in bondage, he will rule over the top of you, and before it's over, you will wish he wasn't your king, and you will cry out for his removal. And then it says, Israel cried out for a king all the more. And we think, knuckleheads, right? But here's the truth. God's word warns us, and yet we go contrary to it and fly in the face of it, knowing the circumstances are coming, and we just don't care. Is that true or not? Am I the only one that sins in this room or what? It's so true, isn't it? Here, here's the word of God. It's very clear. And we go, oh, yeah, but, you know, what, but yeah, I'm going to do it anyway. And here's the same thing happening here. We see this faithlessness. They cry out for a king. So their champion is Saul. As we know about Saul, when he was made king, he was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. He was the best looking person in Israel. Not just best looking man, best looking person, it says. So he's this good-looking guy, he's tall, he's charismatic, he seems to have it all going on, and here's the problem. He no longer has the Holy Spirit with him, he's been told the kingdom's been ripped from him, and he no doubt, when he, every time he heard Goliath's voice, probably thought, oh, this is it. This is how God's going to get me right here. 
I'm going to go down there and that big guy is going to tear me up. You know what? I'm not going. I'm not going. I forget. I'm just not going to do it. And you know what? His words were echoing through the valley. Can you imagine? And no doubt the children of Israel, every time he cried out, all looked at Saul. Dude, why did we make you king? What's up with that, right? What are you doing? How come you're standing over there? Go get him. We'll be right behind you, about 300 yards. Just go down there and go fight that guy. But yet King Saul, king of the flesh, man not filled with the Holy Spirit, sees only from physical circumstances and says there's no way I can defeat this guy. This challenge is made. These words are echoing. No doubt every time they hear him, give me a man. I defy the armies of Israel. Man, taunting God and taunting God's people. How would God's people respond? Where was their champion? What was he doing in the midst of these overwhelming circumstances? How do you respond when the enemy's size seems overwhelming? Do you walk away and give up? Or do you trust God and step out in faith? So David and Goliath, we've seen the overwhelming size of this enemy. They were greatly afraid. And we understand it if you look at it from a physical perspective. We would be greatly afraid too. Now look at their fearful response. And it says in verse 11, When Saul and all Israel heard these words, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of that Epaphrite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse who had eight sons, and the man was old and advanced in years in the days of Saul. Now, Saul heard the words and was cowering. And he was cowering because he was not a man who was filled with the Spirit, nor did he really trust what the Word of God said. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 20, Hear, O Israel, you are approaching a battle against your enemies today. Do not be faint-hearted, do not be afraid or panic or tremble before them, For the Lord your God is one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Guys, if we trust the word of God, we have nothing to fear. Amen? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Saul is cowering in fear, this giant, because he no longer has the power of the Holy Spirit. And he no longer is walking in understanding of the word of God. He's a physically focused king leading a physically focused Uh, tribe of people they were all afraid they're all greatly dismayed and all of them were overwhelmed because of their circumstances satan wants to do the same thing to you and i he wants to render us faithless and fearful through our circumstances when we operate in our fleshly strength we will be overwhelmed but when we trust in the lord we're going to get to see god do great things so now there's saul and now the contrast is david we see saul he's the he's the fleshly king but david has been anointed spiritual king by almighty god he sent samuel his own father didn't think much of david as we know he was out keeping the sheep when he came to visit he brought all the sons before him and when he was done looking at all the sons he said you must have another one. Oh yeah i got one more he's out watching the sheep they bring david in and this is the one and the bible says in that text that man looks on the outward appearance but god looks on the heart and we need to be careful not to be overwhelmed by somebody's good looks, or, or charisma, or wealth, or stature, or anything else. Because it means nothing in eternity. Amen? And it's so important that we look at the heart of people. And God saw David's heart. So here's David, the son, and it says there, his father was old, his father's advanced in years. Verse 13. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. 
The names of the three sons in the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. Verse 15. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep in Bethlehem. Now I want you to notice something here. David was anointed king, and then King Saul had a distressing spirit upon him. And he said, find someone to come and play music for me that I might be comforted from this distressing spirit that comes upon me. Basically, find someone who will worship God in my presence so this distressing spirit will leave. And then one of his servants comes to him and says, there's a young man by the name of David upon whom the Holy Spirit dwells. And they went and got David, and David would sit before Saul, and he would play worship music, and the distressing spirit would leave. You know why? The enemy hates worship. He wants to be worshipped. And I don't, let me encourage you, we need to be people of worship. He's worthy to be worshipped, to be praised, and to be honored. One of the few things we do on earth that we're going to do in heaven is worship. We're not going to be witnessing in heaven, everyone's already saved. Amen? We won't be reading our Bible because we'll have the living word, Jesus Christ, right in front of us. But we will worship. And it's a taste of heaven. And so David would come and play worship. But notice it says here, he is the anointed king and he's playing worship in front of the fleshly king who's no longer king. And the easiest thing for David to do would have been to step up and say, hey, this guy's not king anymore. Let's seek the Lord. He's not really king. The real king is me. I've been anointed king. But he did not do that. He waited upon the Lord. Now notice what he does. He's worshiping before Saul. Then it says, verse 15, but occasionally he went from Saul to feed his father's sheep. Now this is a humble king. He's still working as a shepherd. He's the king of Israel, anointed by God, and yet he sits at the king's feet and plays worship and then runs back to care for his elderly father and to minister to the sheep that have been put into his care. This guy is the ultimate picture of humility where Goliath is the ultimate picture of pride. Goliath is coming down, challenging the world. David is off being obedient to God and serving in quiet anonymity. Now, as we will see, David's time as a shepherd was preparation time for something better. David had no idea prior to being anointed king that he wouldn't be a shepherd the rest of his life. But God had something greater. And sometimes we have no idea what's next. But let's be faithful where we are because God knows what's next. And we need to know that God can be preparing us for something much greater. David, what did he do? He would pray. He would worship. He would protect the flock. And these were all things that God would use. Of side note, it's interesting that David is from Bethlehem, as we know, fed his father's sheep in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, as we know, means house of bread. It's also called the city of David. And Jesus is the bread of life, and he's called the son of David. So all of this shows us again that David is in in many ways a type or a picture of our Savior. So now we flash back, we leave out in the fields in Bethlehem, and we come back to Elah, verse 16. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. In the Bible, 40 is the number of testing. Noah's flood rained 40 days. Israel wandered in the wilderness 40 years. Jesus fasted 40 days. 
Israel is being tested by Goliath and they are failing miserably. 40 days of testing, 40 opportunities to do what's right, 40 morning and night, so 80 ultimately, times that they could step out in faith and trust in the Lord and day after day they cowered in fear and they continued to look at things from a worldly perspective and were indeed faithless. Verse 17, Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of dry grain, these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp. And carry these ten cheeses to the captain of the thousand, and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines, or more, more accurately, taunting. There's no fighting. So now, what I love about this, this is the anointed king of Israel, and this battle is going on, and David is sent there to bring cheese to his brothers. He's like the milkman, right? He's delivering stuff to his brothers. He's so insignificant, he wasn't even invited to the battle. He's out watching the sheep, and now he's going to go out to the battle simply to deliver cheese to his brothers. Now, wouldn't it have been easy for David to say, you want me to do what? Deliver cheese? I'm the king of Israel. What are you thinking? Now, we can do that with God sometimes. God calls us to do something that we think we're above. Sweep the floors, uh, set up chairs. What do you, what? No, no, no. I've been walking with God way too long. I'm far too gifted. I, there's other things that I need to be used for. You know what, though? It's when we are faithful in the small things that God uses us in the great things. If David had not been willing to bring the cheese to his brothers, he never would have seen Goliath, and we would not be reading this chapter this morning. It was because he was faithful in that simple task that his father asked him to do. Sometimes the youth group over here, your parents ask you to do stuff you don't understand. The Bible says obey them anyway. Honor your mother and father, but I don't get, don't, you don't have to get it. Honor anyway, amen? And the same is true with our Heavenly Father. We don't always understand, but we need to trust that He understands, and that's all that matters. Now notice how He serves. He's asked to deliver the cheese. Look at verse 20. I love this. So David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper. Now a couple things we learn here. A spirit-filled man does everything he does as unto the Lord. He's delivering cheese, but he ran to do it. He didn't go kicking the ground, moaning against God. How come I, oh, my brothers get to go to the fire, stay home? He didn't do that. He didn't moan. He didn't murmur. He didn't complain. You know what he did? God asked him to do something through his earthly father. Said, go deliver it. Yep, you bet. And he ran. But notice also, I love this. He left the sheep with a keeper. This reveals the true heart of a shepherd. He was faithful to what God had called him to do going forward, but he would not leave those who he was ministering to left uncared for. In this case, it was sheep. But as a shepherd, he would not leave them alone where the wolves could get after them. Before he left, he made sure the sheep were cared for. And it says there in verse 20, He left the sheep with a keeper and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. The king obeyed his earthly father. And he came to the camp, as the army was going out to fight and shouting for battle. Just so you know, this was an 11-mile trek. David ran 11 miles to bring cheese to his brothers. This is a guy who's humble, who has the heart of a servant. And we're going to see that this is the kind of man God can use. Verse 21. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array 
army against army. So he shows up, and he hears this shouting. He gets there. He has no idea what he's going to find when he gets there. He knows there's a battle going on. He shows up, and instead of a battle, what does he see? Taunting. He shows up, and there's a bunch of guys on one side, a bunch of guys on the other, and they're, 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 they're woofing at each other, right? But nobody's doing anything except Goliath who comes down and everybody's afraid and nobody will respond. Israel had drawn up in battle array with the Philistines, army against army. Forty days of armies on each side, Goliath coming down. Verse 22. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keepers. He shows up with the, the food for his brothers. He leaves it with the supply keeper. And he ran to the army and he greeted his brothers. Again, he's running. This is the heart of a servant. Guys, God doesn't want us just to obey him. He wants us to obey him with the right heart. Amen? It's not good enough to say, all right, well, God wants me to do it. All right. You know, that's not honor. Honoring is, yes, Lord, you know what's best I'm going to do this with the right heart. Amen? And you know what? The Bible tells us we ought to have that heart at work. Amen? We ought to have that heart at school. We ought to have that heart with our parents. We ought to have that heart in every aspect of life where we're doing everything we do in a way that honors the Lord with the right heart and the right attitude. Verse 23. Then as he talked with them, his brothers, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words, so David heard them. You know what has just happened? Let me tell you what's just happened. The Holy Spirit has entered the camp in David. Amen? Everybody, oh, everybody looking for the fleshy perspective. David shows up, and for the first time, somebody filled with the Holy Spirit hears the words, and he is going to hear them from a different perspective. He's not going to cower in fleshly fear. He's going to see them from a perspective of one who walks with God and is filled with His Spirit. Forty days and forty nights, people fleeing each time. The fearful response of the physically focused. But look at this. You've got to love the response of David. And all the end of Israel, when they saw the men, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So David not only hears the voice, but he sees Israel's response. He shows up and he, and he looks at the Philistine. He doesn't know if he's come down 40 days or if that's the first time. He hears the guy's voice and he thinks, what? What's this guy doing? He's spirit-filled. Who's this guy? And then he looks at Israel and they're all, Bleh. and they're running away. And he's like, whoa, what do we got here? What is going on? And you know what? It's amazing what will happen when one spirit-filled person walks into the camp. It's amazing what can happen in your office when one person, you, walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, makes a stand for the truth and does it in love and with great boldness. Watch out and see what God will do. And here, you know, the outcome would have been so different had David not shown up. But God's plan was that David was going to be there and be there right on time. Verse 25. So the men of Israel said... Now notice this, this is point number three, the bold response of the Spirit filled. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give him his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Here's what's interesting. The king won't go fight, so what he does instead is he offers somebody to pay somebody if they'll take his place. That's verse 25. 
He says, hey, hey you know, this guy out here, he comes out and defies us. And you know what? King Saul said, anybody goes can marry his daughter and he'll never have to pay taxes again. Him or his family. Hey, that sounds like a pretty good deal. You know what Saul's saying? Anybody but me, please. Somebody else go fight this guy. I want no part of it because if I go down there, looking from, from a physical perspective, I will die. Now look at the response of a spirit-filled man. Then David, verse 26, spoke to the men who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the men who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? He's not asking this because he wants the reward. He wants them to know. He wants all of them to hear that he is willing to be that man. Then look what he says. And I love this. I underlined this in my Bible. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Amen. He looks at this guy, doesn't see 11 foot 750 against a, a mere man. He sees a mere pagan man taunting Almighty God and says, who does this guy think he is coming against the creator of the universe? That's the difference between physical eyes and spiritual ones. That's someone who looks and sees things from God's perspective. Says this guy's a puny created being who's mocking Almighty God. Who in the world does this guy think he is? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Which means he's outside of God's covenant. He's coming against the armies of the living God. Again, a spirit-filled man with an eternal focus. Saul not a fearful giant, but a a rebellious pagan. He saw the situation from a man who was filled with the spirit of the living God. Verse 27. And the people answered to him this manner, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. So here's the reward. You're going to not have to pay taxes. You can marry his daughter. David asked again about the reward, really to get Saul's attention. But here's this spirit-filled man ready to go to battle when everyone else is cowering in fear. We need more Davids today. We need more Davids who when everyone else is backing away and quieting down and trying to be politically correct and is afraid to stand up for the cause of Calvary and to boldly proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ and crucified and risen from the dead, we need only one to stand up. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth seeking one he can show himself strong on account of, one whose heart is loyal to him. Lord, may we be like David. Not like the rest of Israel who's backing away and cowering in fear. Point number four, watch the world's criticism. He's willing to do it. Nobody else is. How does the world respond? The same way the world will respond to us sometimes. Maybe you go to work and you let everybody know you're going to quit and go be a missionary. Or maybe you want to do something that seems just a little too much. And you'll have unbelievers and even sometimes other Christians criticize you. Oh, dude, mellow out. Settle down, man. Dial it down a bit. Man, just dial it back, man. Come on. All right, you're a Christian. All right. Check your Christianity at the door. I was told that many times at work. You know what? You cannot separate me from Christ. Or you either. Amen? I don't check my Christianity at the door. You know what? When I come in the door... You know what? The Holy Spirit comes before me and with me. Amen? And He'll never leave me nor forsake me, and I'm not going to leave nor forsake Him either. And so look at the response. Now, Eliab, his older brother, this is older brothers do this, right? 
heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and said to him, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you've come down to see a battle. You know what? Eliab was envious because he was there when David was anointed king. And now, from a physical perspective, he's been cowering in fear. Somebody shows up and speaks with great boldness the truth. And those who are standing by, who are cowering in fear and are faithless, will often attack those people. And Eliab attacked, oh, you know what, you're a shepherd boy. Oh, who's watching the few sheep? You got to remember, being a shepherd was a low job. Oh, you're a shepherd boy, where's those sheep? Go back and watch those sheep you're supposed to be in charge of. You just came out here to see a fight. You're just a little kid peeking through a knot hole wanting to watch a fight. That's the only reason you're here. You know, and so when you stand up in boldness, get ready. Get ready because it won't always be received the way that you would like. And David said, what have I done? Verse 29. Is there not a cause? Isn't there a reason for me to be upset? Is anybody else paying attention? David's saying. That guy just came down here and mocked God. What do you mean? Why am I... Why aren't all of us charging that guy? Let's go get him. And instead, he gets mocked for his boldness. Verse 31. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Saul thinks, really? There's somebody who will go? Get that guy in here quickly before he changes his mind, right? Anybody but me. Get that guy in here. Where is he? What to, bring him in. Now imagine when he saw David walking in, what he must have thought. You know, he's probably expecting... You know, Eliab, he's expecting some big warrior, and in walks David. No armor, slingshot in hand, teenage boy, ruddy little guy walking in. Where's the guy that's supposed to, is he behind you? Is he coming? Where is he? But David was the man. Again, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And the word comes back to Saul. There's somebody speaking boldly about Goliath. There's someone asking about the reward. There's somebody who's, who's saying, who is this guy? And the word comes to Saul and he calls for David. Verse 32, then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Man, I like this guy. I'm so glad my parents named me David. I like this guy. I'm nowhere near David, but I love the fact that I've got his name. And it says, And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against the Philistines to fight with them, for you're a youth. And he's been a man of war from his youth. So David comes and says, Hey, don't anybody else sweat it. I'll go. That's a Pastor Dave paraphrase, okay? Nobody else sweat it. I'll go. And then he goes, What? You're a kid. And he's been fighting people since he was a kid. You can't fight with him again. When we make a stand for God, there will be those who will criticize us, who will mock us. And that's what's happening with David. Not only from his own brothers, but from the fleshly king. A spirit-filled, called man of God is not swayed by criticism, though. We're going to see that in David. Point number five. A spirit-filled man's faith is, is not in his own ability, but the power of God. Look at verse 34 to 37. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing that he has defied the armies of the living God. Man, I love this guy. 
Verse 37. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go and the Lord be with you. I found someone who will do it. Go right ahead. Knock yourself out, man. That's great. As long as I don't have to go. Go ahead. Now notice, though, David, first of all, realized now that the training he had as a shepherd was preparation for this moment. He went out and fought the lion and the bear when nobody was watching so that he might be prepared to fight the Philistine when everyone was watching. When we're faithful, when no one is watching, often God is preparing us for something greater when everyone will be watching and we may be able to give a great testimony before the Lord. But also notice that he gives all the credit for every victory where it belongs to God. God is the one who delivered them into my hands. When that bear came, God delivered the bear into my hands. He'll deliver this Philistine too. Our God's great enough to take a little boy like me and have me whoop up on a lion and grab it by its beard and tear it up. He, you know what? He can, he can use me to kill that Philistine too. I'm ready. I'll go because God is faithful. Not because I'm a great warrior, but because God is a great and an awesome God. You know what? All you're going through, another reminder, is preparation for what's next. And as we see God's power and faithfulness, our faith grows too. David had seen God be faithful with the lion and the bear, and he knew God would be faithful with the Philistine. Point number six. The world tries to overcome spiritual attacks by worldly methods. We're not to walk in their counsel. Look at verse 38 and 39. So Saul clothed David with his armor and put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of maul. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I can't walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Now here's what happens. Saul is the tallest guy in all of Israel by head and shoulders above everyone else. He brings David, the little teenage boy, in and throws his big old coat on him and his big old helmet on him. And David, you know, you know have you ever seen like a kid wearing his parents' clothes? Wearing his dad's jacket, you know what I mean? It's kind of what I envision. Here's David with his big old thing and the helmet so big it's like tilting off to the side, right? And David's standing there going, yeah, this is real effective, right? <laughs> and the point here is this. Men will try to prepare you to do the work of God using worldly methods. You know what? You're going to go out and fight this battle. Here's what you need. You need good worldly armor so you can have victory. You know what? We need to tailor our church services in a way that will be more inviting to the unchurched and will never confront them with their sin because they might be offended and never come back. So let's change our methods to be more like the world so the world will like us better. God forbid. You know what? We're not to be like the world. We're to be like the Lord. And we're to be in the world, but not of the world. And when people walk in the door, I pray they never think we're like the world. I pray they walk in the door and go, these people are different. Amen? They go to church in a gymnasium for one. But you know what? But the point is, we got Jesus, and it ought to be different because we have Jesus. And so they try to clothe him with the things of the world. And you know what? There are indeed those two perspectives of a one-sided battle, as we're going to see. Saul saw this young man willing to go. Let me armor him up. Let me give him as many worldly things as possible to win the battle. But look at the two perspectives. Here's the first one. We'll see that contrast between the physical and spiritual perspective. Verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. They try to give him armor. David goes and gets rocks. 
Now, when I was in Israel, this is a stone out of that brook in the Valley of Elah. Now, I don't know if this is close to the right size or what, but it was a smooth stone. And this is actually taken out of the very spot where David would have grabbed the rocks that he fought the Philistine. Okay? So I'm going to go ahead and pass this around and you can look at it. All right? And I want it back. Okay? I don't know if that's close to the size or what, but it's out of the same brook. It's just kind of cool. I love going to Israel because it just brings the Bible even more to life. So what happens is he goes and he grabs five stones. Now, some people say, why five stones? I mean, if he had faith, he'd only need one. Right? According to what is believed historically, Goliath had four brothers. And in those days, if you killed somebody, you had to take on their brothers. David said, here's one for Goliath and his four brothers. I'm ready. Me and the Holy Spirit and five rocks. That's plenty. Amen? And look what happens. And you've got to love this perspective. Goliath is judging it by an outward appearance, and David is going to see it in a different way. And when the Philistine, verse 42, looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Ooh, I'm scared now. He cursed David by his gods who don't exist. Amen? I've had people come to me here and go, Well, so-and-so put a curse on me. I go, And? Well, that, it bothers me. Why, why? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen? And those gods don't exist. Curse me by all the gods you want. It doesn't make any difference. I serve the true and living God. Amen? So the Philistine starts cursing him by his God who does not exist. Look what he says. And the Philistine, verse 44, said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. So the Philistine's pretty prideful and thinks he's going to win the battle. And notice his focus is I. I will. I will. I will. All along. Come fight me. Fight me. David always was pointing to the Lord. Verse 45. Then David saw the Philistine. You come to me with sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. You come to me with your armor and your training, and I come to you with Almighty God on my side. This indeed was an overwhelming one-sided battle, but not from the way the world would think. It says, The God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. I come in his name, the, the God who you defy. And it says, verse 46, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that David is an awesome warrior. Is that what it says? It says that all the world may know that there is a God in Israel. Here's the difference. David's motivation is God being glorified. Goliath's motivation is himself being lifted up. And you see this contrast between a man of God and a man of the world, a man of the flesh. And here David says, you know what, God's going to do this, that his name would be lifted up. And notice he not only believes it in his heart, but he's stepping out in faithful action. And I love this because faith is not faith unless it produces an action. Amen? True belief must impact behavior. And David looks at him, and can you imagine the 11 foot, 750 pound Goliath hearing this coming from a teenage kid with a rock? Can you imagine him going, are you serious? Dude, my armor bearer could take you, right? 
My armor bearer could take you and three of your friends your size. And you're talking about me? You must be out of your mind. And he's looking from, again, that physical perspective. But praise God that we do not see the world as, as the world sees it, but we see it through the eyes of our Savior. So number, point number eight, putting feet to our faith. He's shared these words. He's showing great boldness. Verse eight, so it was when the Philistine arose and came near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Man, I love this. All the fleshly filled men, when David, when Goliath would come out, huh? can you see him hiding behind each other, getting behind a rock? Can you just see him? And here's David. Goliath comes down and David runs straight at him. You know what? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And he goes running straight for that, that great enemy. But he sees from a spiritual perspective. This is only possible when we see through God's eyes, that we can run toward the greatest trial of our life. Some of you are in a trial right now and you want to cower and maybe you want to hide and maybe you want to run away, but God would call you to meet it head on and trust that God is faithful. Amen? Whatever those circumstances may be. Now watch this. Then David put, it, put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank in his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. Now I imagine this scene. Can you imagine? Goliath standing there, that big old bruiser guy, 125 pound coat, bronze armor all over him, big huge spear, weaver's beam, guy holding stuff in front of him, big old huge helmet on his head. David runs toward him, starts slinging this rock and lets it go. And I just see it, you know, my mind's eye going in slow motion. You know what I mean? All right, Goliath just standing there, has no idea. Bam, it hits him in the forehead. And you know what, here's the funny part. With a helmet, there would have been a very small spot that was open to being hit in the head. And you know what? Our God is greater than any odds, amen? And that rock found the right spot. And then I just imagine him being dead on the spot. And it sinks in his head. And then he's just standing there. And you, know, and you know all of Israel's watching. Some of them probably behind rocks ready to run. Well, when David gets killed, we got to get out of here. Right? I mean, can you imagine kind of peeking? Some guys may have already left. I'll tell you what happened. I'm just going to walk. This is it. You know, and the Philistines are standing there waiting. All right, here's finally our victory. This is going to be great. Everybody, oh. Right? And all of a sudden, and then he just, ah, you know, can you imagine? Can you imagine 11 foot 750 hitting the ground? I mean, yeah, imagine like a 4.5 earthquake right about there, right? And then I imagine the dust just kicking up in the air, right? I mean, a big old guy like that, boom, hits the ground. Dust kicks up in the air, and then look what happens. It says there, So David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and the stone. He struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. Now, he hits the ground. The earth shakes a little bit. The Philistines are all in shock. The Israelites aren't really sure if they saw what they just saw. The dust kicks up, it clears, and they see this David standing on this dead carcass of the Philistine holding up his head in his hand. The sword in one hand and his head in the other. And everybody going, what just... Did that really happen? Can you imagine these guys talking to each other? That's not, there's no way. And I imagine David really having a hard time picking up Goliath's head, by the way. Right? Holding up his sword, his head. And I mean, incredible scene. What an incredible scene. You know what? Our God is greater than any enemy this world can dish out. There's nothing too great for our God. 
And we need to be those like David who will step out in faith. If we want to see the giants fall, we got to step out. Amen? We're not to be willing to lay down our lives for him. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Amen? Isn't it amazing when one person stands up for God, how the enemy flees? This one person, and they all saw that. And they, can you imagine? They thought, dude, our champion just lost to one of their teenagers. We are in huge trouble. Get up, run away, right? They just, start, they just start running in the opposite direction. If our champion can't beat one of their guys with no armor and a rock, we're in big trouble. And this is a testimony to everyone that our God is God and that our God is great. And God used David not because he was great, but because he was available, because he was a man filled with the Holy Spirit, and because he was a man who would be obedient to what the Lord called him to do. Let's finish up. Verse 52. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines. Look how brave they got. Isn't that amazing? How the faithfulness of one man not only brings fear to the enemy, but brings boldness to other believers. Have you ever been encouraged by the boldness of another believer? You hear somebody being bold in their faith, you're kind of sitting back, not saying anything. They say something, and then you, hey, you know what, he's right. And then you feel yourself joining in. Let me encourage you, if you're not doing this, pray about starting a Bible study where you work to see what happens. I'll tell you, God does great things. And sometimes it's one person starting a Bible study that gets five other people that you didn't even know were saved start to coming to it. It's one person standing up for God and saying, let's recognize God in our workplace. And you know what? This is what happens when we make a stand for the Lord. All of a sudden, at high school, you guys stand for the Lord. When you stand for the Lord, you'll have other kids who believe in God coming out of the woods. Amen? Let's do that. And we see this happening. And now all of them go, dude, our teenager whipped their champion. Let's go, right? All of a sudden, the guys who have been hiding behind the rocks and cowering in fear all of a sudden have great boldness. And they pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley of the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road of Sharem, even as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their tents. Man, things done changed, right? Because of one faithful man. You know what? Sometimes, let me just speak from my heart. Sometimes we look at this county as being 11 foot 750. And we think, while we'll say it with our mouths, we don't really believe that it's true that God could ever bring revival here. Our God can use one person to bring revival to Santa Cruz County. Amen? Do we believe that? Our God can do it. We need not to, to limit what God... Oh, but Santa Cruz, we're like Berkeley. We're like the most outside of them, our minds. That's true. But what better place to take a halogen light than the darkest place around? And God wants to use us here, you guys. Let's be like David. Let's not see from the world's perspective. Let's see from God's eyes. He loves the people in this county. And you and I are here to be salt and light to them. Then the children of Israel returned. They, they went in. They plundered their tents. Verse 54. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but put his armor in his tent. Imagine carrying that head around. Verse 55. When Saul saw David going out against the Philistine... He said to Abner, the commander of the army, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. So the king said, inquire whose son this young man is. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David said, I am son 
of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. Now, I want you to see a couple things here. One, it is interesting that he doesn't remember David in one sense because David's playing music before him, but it just shows how self-absorbed the king is, right? It also could be that he maybe knew who David was but didn't really know who, what family he was from and he wanted to make sure they got their tax exemption, right? He's very happy to let him not pay taxes. He didn't have to fight Goliath, so he's very happy with that. This is a great program for me. This works really well. But notice David's heart. David doesn't say, and I'm the true king, and you're a faithless worm, and you didn't go fight, and why don't you just step off? He didn't do that. He said, I am the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. David, even after a great victory, still sees himself as a servant. We need to be careful that when God uses us, we never allow pride to creep in. We never allow ourselves to take any credit for anything God ever does. You know what? One of my biggest struggles right now is Christian music. Because what is happening is we're starting to treat Christian musicians like rock stars. And we need to be very careful. And the same is true of anybody who serves in any kind of ministry. We never elevate a man. We lift up only the name of Jesus Christ. He alone should be lifted up. He alone should be magnified. Nobody else. And David has the right heart. He's a man after God's own heart. Filled with the Spirit of the living God. Let me close with this. David is a type of Jesus in many ways. David's name means beloved. And Jesus is God's beloved son. Both were born in Bethlehem. Both were rejected by their people, at least initially, but would one day be received. Jesus was rejected by the Jews, and one day, when he returns, many of them will be saved. David was anointed king before he was ever permitted to reign. Jesus is the king now, but will not reign on earth until Satan is banished. David was sent to the battlefield by his father. Jesus was sent to earth by his father. King Saul is a picture of Satan. Saul was rejected and defeated, but yet was permitted to reign until David came to the throne. Saul is is allowed to continue to be the prince of the power of the air only until God says he's done. And so we see this picture of David and this picture of Saul. We see this man who's filled with the flesh and a man who walks in the spirit. And Lord, help us to be those who see with the eyes of David. David's characteristics of a man after God's own heart. He was humble. He had undying faith. He was obedient no matter what the circumstances. He viewed the world from a spiritual perspective rather than a fleshly one. And he always gave God the glory. Lord, may we follow his example. So in closing, David versus Goliath. The one-sided battle between a physically overpowering giant warrior and a young, humble, spirit-filled boy. Number one, we saw the overwhelming size of the enemy. We then saw the fearful response of the physically focused as the children of Israel were afraid looking at this man from the world's perspective. But then we saw the Holy Spirit enter the camp in the person of David and the bold response that he had. But even as he stepped out in faith, criticism followed. And when you step out in faith, the world will criticize you. Then we saw the spirit-filled man's faith is not based on his own ability, but the power of God. Guys, don't focus on how gifted you are, but how great God is. That should be the focus always. And then the world tries to overcome the attack by, with worldly methods, trying to get David to do God's things the world's way. Don't do God's things the world's way. Don't try to serve God by following a worldly pattern. Use the word of God as the plumb line for how you do everything. Amen? And the leading of the Holy Spirit. Finally, con- we saw the contrast between Goliath and David 
And then we saw one putting feet to his faith. Not just speaking about doing things for God, but actually stepping out and doing them. And then finally, we saw that even in victory, he remained both a servant and humble because he knew that God was the one who brought the victory. Lord, may we be a church filled with David's. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord. We thank you that it is indeed true that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We thank you, Lord, for your word that gives clear direction to our lives. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who dwells within us. May you lead and guide and direct us. Lord, help us to see the world with spiritual eyes, to see our problems from your perspective, our circumstances, our trials, the difficulties of life. Father, I lift up those who are here today going through major health problems. Lord, I pray they would see those things from a spiritual perspective. Those who have overwhelming financial issues, those who are struggling with children in rebellion or difficulties at work, all the different things we could be facing, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that in the midst of them, you're a faithful God and you're in control. Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you. And Lord, we do lift up Santa Cruz. Lord, I pray that this place would become known as the Bible Belt of California. I pray you'd bring such revival here that it would shake the foundations of this country. Lord, we believe in Jesus' name that you absolutely can do it. But Lord, we pray that we would not just be those who mouth these words, but that we would step out in faith to reach out to those around us, to share with them the hope that lies within us, that we would be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would not apologize for your word, but we would speak it with great boldness and in love. Lord, we are humble and broken before you because, Lord, we know that without you we can do nothing, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Give us your strength. Give us your direction. We love you, Lord. You're a great and an awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, let's stand and close the worship song.